We just celebrated Thanksgiving weekend and Black Friday, and today is Cyber Monday. Hopefully you have a lot of reasons to be thankful, and if you had the chance to get some deals from Black Friday and Cyber Monday, good for you. Now, there's something else to celebrate tomorrow. It's called Giving Tuesday. And for those of you who want to show your gratitude by giving back to your community and impact the lives of many, many people in the easiest way, this is your chance. On this episode of Latin Equis, I'll let Olivia Peña, Deputy Program Director of the Young Center, talk to you more about Giving Tuesday, how you can help, and the impact you can have by donating. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is Latin Equis, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. We want to go beyond listening. We're ready to speak up. So join me in conversation every week as I meet Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. As you know, a podcast is a journey, and I would love for you to follow this one. So join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinx and reach out. You can also find out more at our website at wearelatinx.com. For those of you who don't know, on the 17th episode of Latinx, which aired back in July, I had the chance to talk to Lorena Gonzalez, the development manager at the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. As a border child myself, and with plenty conversations in the spotlight pertaining to the border, it's a subject we have all heard about, and whether we have different opinions about it, there is something not many of us consider. What happens to unaccompanied alien children who have crossed the U.S.-Mexico border? That's exactly the question that every person who works at the Young Center has to ask themselves every day. The Young Center is a uh, human rights organization that advocates for the best interests of unaccompanied and separated immigrant children. Um, these are the children that uh, present themselves at the port of entry at the border and are seeking protection, right, to come into this country and maybe reunify with a relative or seek a better life in the U.S. versus where they're fleeing from. Um, we are the only nonprofit in the nation that provides child advocates. Um, and our child advocate program is volunteer based. So we partner up with volunteers from the community to advocate for the best interests of these children. Um, right now, we have eight sites, um, eight offices across the nation. So we are in Harlingen, Texas. That's where I'm based from. Um, and then we have San Antonio, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, Phoenix, uh, New York, and DC. I think I got them all. So we have eight sites, and from those eight sites, we serve children all across the nation. Um, so that's essentially, in, in short, a um, uh, quick summary of who we are. We're also, you know, working very hard to advocate for an immigration system that advocates for children first as children, and then make sure that every decision that any decision maker we're talking about from the people who are housing these children in federal um, immigration centers, all the way to the judges who make the decisions to as to whether those children stay or leave the country are really considering what it's best for these children. And we're talking about, you know, safety, express wishes, identity, family unity, liberty, and development. Um, and so that's essentially what we're trying to do here at the Young Center. Fun fact, I was born in Harlingen, Texas, and right now I'm in Brownsville, Texas. Um, oh, I'm in Brownsville too. So what? I, yes, I'm in Brownsville. <laughs> so yeah, so I so like literally right across the border of course but yeah. I immigrated with my family when I was six and so I've been here ever since a couple of years in Houston for law school but I decided to come back but yes I'm in Brownsville our office is actually in Harlingen so maybe 
once COVID is gone, hopefully very soon, you're welcome to stop by our office and check it out. So. I would love to visit you guys because, as I said, I'm a big fan. But I can't believe you're in Brownsville. This is the first <laughs> time I talked to someone in Brownsville didn't know you were here. <laughs> Giving Tuesday is a global day of giving and solidarity that thousands of nonprofits around the world participate in. It's a chance for people to donate to the causes they care about and share their passion for that cause within their community. Um, through Giving Tuesday, camp our campaign this year, we are hoping to raise $100,000 for a work with unaccompanied and separated immigrant children. And this year, up to 25,000 of the donations will be matched by a Young Center Anonymous supporter. Um, so it's a great way to double impact. And then in addition to donating to our campaign through our website, theyoungcenter.org, or through Facebook or Instagram, you can help the Young Center's Giving Tuesday campaign by uplifting our calls for donations and by becoming a Young Center ambassador. Our ambassadors are key for funds and awareness about our work. And you can learn more about how to become an ambassador at theyoungcenter.org slash ambassadors or by contacting us on social media. Um, our social media handle at on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at the Young Center. And we'll thank you so much for standing with us and supporting immigrant children. Tell me a little bit about what called you, drew you to work at the Young Center and become their deputy program director. Oh yeah, I forgot to say that. <laughs> no worries. I am I am the Young Center's deputy program director, and as a DPD, that's how we abbreviate it. I oversee the offices in Harlingen, San Antonio, and Houston. And so, what drew me to the Young Center essentially was the the model, which is the best interest model, right? So, um, I knew going into law school that my goal was to you know get more familiar with immigration law, which is something that I and my family struggled a lot growing up. And, you know, you see a lot of the, the struggles and the language barrier and, you know, people also take advantage of people who are going through the process. And I was like, you know, I'm doing immigration law and I know how much it also intersects with criminal law. So I was like, you know, criminal law, immigration, and a little bit of everything, but came, coming back was always the goal. Um, and then I particularly wanted to do something with children because when I was in law school, a lot of my immigration work in the clinic was had to do with children. And so when I came down, I was try trying to find a job, you know, representing children. But there was something about just the idea of representing legal express wishes of a child that left me thinking, OK, there's more that I can do rather than just, you know, filing for legal relief. And particularly in the situation with children, it's that they're so vulnerable, right? So it's not just about, OK, you get them a green card and, and that's done. There's a lot of other pieces to the puzzle and a lot of other advocacy that we can do as it relates to safety. And so when I saw the Young Center that it sort of adds the two components, legal and best interest, like, that's it, let me let me apply. I applied and I've been there ever since um, 2014. Um, and I really enjoy it. I think it's actually, I mean, I wouldn't say close to my calling. Um, I, I really enjoy giving back um, and trying to help as much as I can. I think when I was there, I would have wanted to have one of our child advocates to help me out. And I think I have come for full circle, as some people would say it. Um, but yes, the Young Center really, really goes as, as, uh, you know, as far as they can above and beyond advocating for every single child. 
And just talking about it gives me goosebumps because I can think of all the stories and all the cases where we've been able to make a difference and continue to do it, even though we're in COVID and we've had to transition. Can you share with us one of those stories that came to mind? Oh, my. There's so many. So I would say the very first one was a little four-year-old. She was in the United States after having trouble with her mother. And... Uh, at the port of entry at the bridge, they separated this child from her mother um, for nothing related to the mother's ability to be her parent. They just decided that she had some history from her past that made her a bad woman. She had, um, you know, 18-year-old, 19-year-old criminal history, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing related to whether she was a danger or was unfit to care for this four-year-old. And she was actually fleeing a very, you know, violent situation and that was her only resort you know come across and seek safety and they were separated um obviously she's four she can't talk uh, she can't say what she wants and while we were working with her we started started doing a lot more information gathering we knew there was a parent a father here in the united states who also wanted her um so we had to just you know identify which one of those options was a better option for her and um Ultimately, through multiple phone calls, multiple meetings with the parents, we did an international home study of the mother's living conditions um, in home country because at that point she mother was deported. Um, and the father, obviously, we also tried to do, we did a, an assessment of the father who lived here in the United States. Um, and after about a year and a half, um, we finally made a recommendation that it was in this child's best interest to reunify with her mother. And we walked her across the board, the actual the bridge here, really close by, and we handed her, her over to her mom. And it was one of the most beautiful things. It was actually my first case, um, and it was really heartwarming to see her run to her mother. And we're talking about now a five, soon to be six year old with the, like large trash bags of clothing. And we're like, it was long overdue, and the mom couldn't have been more grateful. Like a couple months later, yeah, comunión, fiesta, cumpleaños. Like they had done all these things for her that they had missed out. Um, Kind of making up for that time that was lost. And it was just so beautiful. So that was one of them. That was actually one of my first ones. And then we have a couple of other medically complex cases. Um, I I helped a child who um, was diagnosed with leukemia. And all this time we were trying to explore his options here in the U.S. because he was running from an unsafe situation in home country. And eventually he said, I don't want to stay here. If I'm going to die, I'm going to pass next to my family. And so we worked really hard to make sure that we honored his desire to go back home, um, but at the same time secure his medication, all the services he needed, transportation, lodging, before he was repatriated to home country. And so thank God um, he's there and he's he's with his family. And um, we're hoping that, you know, all the services that he, we, helped assemble for him he still has them so all of those cases are really difficult and certainly I'm not doing these cases by myself Um, it's a whole team effort we have social workers we have people who have a lot of experience and we don't have it when we don't have in-house we go out and seek it right for medically complex cases for children where there's a parental you know parental interest conflict we have best interest determination panels and we've gathered psychologists, um, social workers, immigration experts, country conditions experts, and bring them together at the table to help us help us complement our best interest recommendations. So not at all times um, 
it's not just one person who owns this case or who makes a decision. It's not Olivia who says, oh, it's best for this little girl to go back home or it's best for this little guy to go back home. And who knows what will happen? No, it's like before we make that type of decision or type of recommendation, um, we have to make it a very informed, holistic. Um, and, you know, back, back to 2014 when I started, we were sort of still finding our ways through court because child advocates, unfortunately, not all kids have child advocates as much as we wish that all kids had child advocates. Best interest is not something that's in the law. It's not an immigration law. And immigration law, in fact, is actually tailored to adults. So unlike kids in state court or adults in criminal law, kids don't have an attorney. They don't have family courts or special courts for children. And so it's all tailored to adults, right? And so having a child advocate is, you know, something that not all of them have. Uh, and most of the times we're only appointed to the most vulnerable situations. Um, and so judges, different types of stakeholders have come to recognize our role and are now seeking more appointment of child advocates. A while ago, my producer, Ariel, gave me this great idea to call this segment La Esquinita, The Corner. I've already done a few of these in past episodes, and today I talked to Ariel about why we celebrate Thanksgiving as Latinx. So do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Uh, we do. Yeah, with my family, we definitely do. Um, you know, growing as up... As a Latino? As a Latino, grew up in a very religious Christian home. So when we came here to the United States, it was kind of like almost a given. I guess, to adopt this um, tradition. Um, so because it's more like being thankful to God and being thankful for everything that you've had and everything, all the opportunities throughout the year, you know. So, yeah, we do celebrate it. I mean, it's interesting to me to ask other Latinos this because I didn't grow up celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, we'd celebrate it at school, obviously, because I'd go to school on the American side. But my parents and I would go home and it would just be like, oh, Andrea has school i mean off we don't we have free days we don't really but growing up because you i know you lived in mexico and you mm -hmm. also lived here in the united states but growing up even here in the united states you guys didn't celebrate it yeah because okay so growing up my my school was on the american side but i was on the Me i lived on the mexican side of the border so i'd cross the border every day and so during that i wouldn't celebrate thanksgiving and then when we crossed to live on the american side i was already like 16 I think and we still didn't celebrate it and we didn't start celebrating Thanksgiving really until I left for college and came back because every time I'd come visit from college it represented a holiday for my family it was like oh Andrea's home let's make a big event out of it so we used Thanksgiving as like that let's be thankful that we're together as a family again sort of holiday and now we it's like our so now it's stuck <laughs> huh so now you just got stuck with the tradition and you were like, yeah, let's let's do it and celebrate. Now we do it for real. Right. Because one, because it's a nice tradition. Why wouldn't you want to like say thank you for life and be together with your family? But also we use it as a time to decorate for Christmas. So it's like our pre-gaming to Christmas. And if there's no Christmas celebration, like if we're not setting up for Christmas and it's not Thanksgiving. Um, so well, how know. do you guys celebrate it? Do you, like you said earlier, you know, do you like Hispanicize the tradition or full on turkey, yams, stuffing, <laughs> and whatever all the gringos eat? <laughs> 
the gringos. I think it really depends on who we're selling it, writing it with. If it's just the three of us, we do a little more basic, like, okay. because we don't want to overcook for just three people. So we, of course, always do the turkey, no matter who we're with. Um, y o puré de papa o okay. camote, o sea, puré de camote, uh, sweet potato. Sweet potato. Ha- whatever. Um, on, and on the marshmallows and top? With the marshmallows, of course, yes. Okay. And we do the cranberry sauce on the side. And I think that's oh, just so like you the You do go full American. We do go full American, but of course, we also include, include the tortillas. Porque <laughs> no sabemos comer nada. Un poquito de salsita de cranberry <laughs> con tortillas. <laughs> why, why did your family adopt this? Well, I um, remember that in conversation before I told you, like, you know, my whole life, I was Honduran. From Catracho mm-hmm. de Honduras, no? It wasn't until I moved to the United States that I became Latino. You know, I became something that I wasn't, I guess, like a new category. So when you move to the United States, you know, you become a Latino, even though if you're like from Mexico, Puerto Rico, Colombia, what have you. So like it comes with new things, you know, new labels, new traditions. So I think it kind of helps you. Um, it kind of helps you feel like you're part of it, like you're part of the country, like you're being not a bystander, you know, of everything that's happening around you, but you're actually like, participating in the holidays, you know, big holiday season here. So you might have to do something with that. Yeah. So for those listening, <laughs> why do you celebrate Thanksgiving? If you're a Latino, why do you celebrate Thanksgiving? And or why don't you celebrate Thanksgiving? And for those who aren't Latinos, why is Thanksgiving a holiday that you've upheld or that you keep celebrating? I said celebrate a lot. <laughs> and what is your twist? And what is your twist? You know, do you have tortillas? Exacto. <laughs> or arepas? I don't know. Empanadas? Yeah. <laughs> a child should have an attorney and a child advocate. Right. Um, an attorney will focus on the child's legal express wishes. What is it that the child wants? Mm-hmm. And a child advocate focuses on not just the legal aspect, but the whole best interest of that child, which includes safety, well-being, um, and basic human rights. And can, for example, could I be a child advocate? Yes. So there's, we are doing several trainings throughout the year, even more so now during COVID. Um, and there's a training, the two-day training. Um, whoever wants to become a child advocate, they would attend that two-day training. They would go through a criminal background check, a TB test, um, a child abuse and neglect check, and then make sure they're clear with everything, which whatever whatever office you're volunteering with, right? So if you're in Brownsville, you could volunteer with the Harlingen office. Um, and we are serving kids all across the Rio Grande Valley um, and some in El Paso as well. And once you go through your training, you clear all your background checks. Um, you will be assigned to a case and throughout the entire time you're paired up with an attorney or a social worker who's guiding you and giving you support. Um, Obviously, these cases are very sensitive and of course, we want to make sure that we take care of our volunteers just as much as we take care of the children that we serve. Ariel, do you have a question? And I have a question for you, Ariel. Would you ever be a child advocate? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Claro que sí. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, we are all 
immigrants. I'm particularly from Honduras. I immigrated to the United States when I was 15 years old, um, DACA recipient. So I can identify a lot with the things that you're talking about and the, the programs that you're bringing together. And it's, it's great because we don't really think about unaccompanied children here in the United States. You know, we don't really think about kids that cross the border and now they're in a big different country with the uh, culture that they don't know. Um, so, but I do have a question. How do you find these children? How, if someone that knows of a children or a kid that it happens to be here without their parents, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, but mainly, how do you find these children? Oh, great question. So um, we receive referrals. Um, we have a referral link um, in our main website um, at theyoungcenter.org. And through that link, anyone who has um, some sort of contact with an unaccompanied immigrant child can refer to our office, right? Um, primarily, um, these are children who are in the federal immigration detention centers for children. Um, we get referrals from the people who are their case managers or their clinicians who are sort of handling the cases of these unaccompanied and separated immigrant children. They refer the cases to us. And we, because there is a lot of need, we have to, which is probably the hardest part of our jobs, which is having to prioritize the cases where we, there's more need and where we can create um, a difference. Um, and so, through referrals, through referrals from those facilities where the children are held, um, also through referrals from community organizations. Um, we work very closely with our local immigrant organizations here in the RGV, um, and they may come across, you know, we work, um, there's maybe a kiddo who was in the MPP process, right, um, in Mexico, and all of a sudden the child is no longer, no, now in the U.S., no longer over there, they want our help to for the child to unify with their relative in the U.S. So a partner from one of those local um, community immigrant organizations can refer our case to us. Um, and we also get referrals from, I mean, some people think it's not normal. Um, I think that talks really highly about the work that we do when we have DHS officials also referring cases to us. So we have ICE officials. We also have consulates referring cases to us. Um, a lot of different um, stakeholders or, you know, agencies that can refer a case to us and they can do it by our portal, which is a referral link that's in the website, or they can pick up the phone, they can call us or send us an email and say like, hey, there's this unaccompanied child that we think that would benefit from having a child advocate. And then that's when we, you know, sort of like jump in and try to help as much as we can. This Giving Tuesday, try lending out a hand. Donate to your favorite organizations and keep the Young Center in mind. Anything helps. Deja tu granito de arena. To learn more about how you can help, visit theyoungcenter.org and click on Donate Now. You can also subscribe to their email list to stay up to date on ways in which you can get involved and even become a child advocate. And as I always say, make sure to support your communities. It doesn't matter what you choose to advocate for, just go out there and help. Connect and inspire others to do the same. Thank you for listening and supporting Latinx. We've loved seeing the growth and engagement on our platforms. Remember to check out additional information about this episode in the description. Lastly, support us by downloading our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date. 
and join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinikis. Reach out and let me know what's important to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say.